We are on the air. Let's get it going. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. 60 minutes of presentation of the way we think, the way we operate. On the way, do you need an LLC? It's a question that we get quite often. And as it happens, uh, one of our wealth managers did this for a number of years because why, Dave? He's an attorney, right? Again, it talks about the bench strength of Annex Wealth Management, and we'll talk more about that. Ask Annex is coming up. The last time I'm going to do this, but... The worst TikTok financial advice. We're going to go through and see what the worst has been and what. Well, here's here's the point, Dave, is where are you getting your advice from? Right, right. That matters. It should be from YouTube. It should not from, be uh, from from TikTok. From TikTok. Yeah, uh, Dean Phillips here about the sandwich generation. That's a tough spot to be, but we got some tips on how to handle that. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Welcome to you. Good. Thank you, my friend. You know, it's the first week is in the books, and we are really prepped to have an economic and earnings season report cards coming up. We did get some economic reports this week, and most importantly, we got a CPI report, and that's going to come through and set up some of the earnings reports we're going to get over the next several weeks. Right. The CPI report came on Thursday. It was relatively benign. Uh, we saw the first drop since last summer, primarily driven by lower prices of gasoline and used cars. So that was a positive. Uh, some people had been, I think, waiting to position themselves after that report. And so we saw a very strong week. We saw the S&P up almost 2%, NASDAQ up 3 and small caps leading the way up more than 4%. And so the, the true story is is now what is the Federal Reserve going to do? It's been the story, of course, of 2022. And uh, either way, they're near the end of their rate hiking. We'll probably see something in February, uh, very likely 25 to 50 basis points. And then we'll have to see if they pause and hold and see the data going forward. Right. I mean, the, the market's expectation is they may, in fact, ease towards the back half of the year. That's not really our base case as an investment committee. But historically, what the Fed has done essentially is follow the yield on the two-year trend. Treasury note. And right now, with that forecasted increase of 25 basis points, as you mentioned, Dave, that puts them roughly in line with where the two-year is. In fact, slightly higher. So the two-year has done its job, essentially telling the Fed what to do. Well, that's really the point. So, you know, the bond king, uh, Jeff Gunlock, made a lot of news this past week. And of course, we, you know, the old axiom is don't fight the Fed, but maybe the Fed's not in charge, according to Jeff Gunlock. Right. Historically, he he has a really uh, great chart that we, we included in our talking points for our wealth managers over the weekend. And you see that basically that two-year yield has led Fed fund increases and decreases over time. Uh, the other thing that Gunlock said actually during a conference call that I thought was very interesting. Now, again, he's a bond manager, so he's probably talking his book to some degree. But he feels that bonds are an extraordinary value at, at current levels, whereas he does not believe the same is true for stocks. So he actually suggested that people ought to flip their allocation towards bonds relative to stocks I'm not prepared well, to he go said, that he far. Well, he said it was a 60-40, not if it's more than that. But if it's 60-40 equity to bond, he thought maybe you overweight bonds and underweight equities was his point. Right, and that may very well apply to someone who's retired, who's conservative, and is looking for a paycheck, because right now there are alternatives. The one-year Treasury yield is north of 4%, first time we've said that in years. So that's a good situation for retirees. The question is, what is this Fed input going to do on earnings and growth of the economy going forward? We know they've been raising interest rates, and we know 
M2 growth has slowed. So the odds that inflation has peaked are very high, but it could be sticky in certain areas. You know, you made a really good point. One of my favorite macro guys, uh, Jason Trenard, came up with a saying years ago called Tina. There is no alternative, which, you know, we always used to joke, Danny, that was my Italian cousin. cousin, Right, but now there is an alternative, as Derek points out, Tara. There is a reasonable alternative, and that's really what's happening. There is a spot now for fixed income that we haven't seen, as you pointed out, in decades. Yeah, as an example, right now only 16% of the stocks in the S&P 500 yield yield more than 4%. That's the lowest number in 11 years. So when we were talking about equities being advantaged relative to fixed income, that was when interest rates were extraordinarily low and you could pick up higher dividend yields in the S&P plus the upside potential of stocks. That has flipped, and that's part of the reason Gunlock is suggesting that. So, you know, as, as one looks at their portfolios, understand the fear and greed index, which was in the low 30s uh, just a month ago, is now back to 61, the highest level we've seen since December. So it really is a good time to do, as you say, take a look at what you own and why you own it. Does Tara also show up for Sunday dinner? <laughs> she does. She's she the does. loud one. All right, there's Tina, there's Tara, the loud one. Folks, if you like the Week in Review and you want to catch it on demand this weekend, it's available in a couple of different places. The Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, the Axiom, that's our free weekly newsletter that's delivered on Sunday mornings. You can catch it on Spotify at the top of the hour. Head to our website if we can help you. Click that Get Started button. It's AnnexWealth.com. It's Wildcard Weekend. We are glad you're here. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth management show saturday january 14th quick break we're going to be right back on 620 wtmj we're back one team one plan one fee what that means is investment and retirement planning tax planning and estate planning from a fee-only fiduciary a couple things you can do this weekend sign up for the axiom our free weekly newsletter we're on social media linkedin facebook instagram youtube with over 1500 annex wealth management produced videos swat podcast you want to dig in deep on the markets our investment team puts that on every monday usually up by about nine or ten in the morning that's on spotify and just quick reminder this show is available on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer in the studio on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Dave Spano, our president and CEO. I'm glad that you referenced the Wildcard Week, and I'll tell you what, if you're an investor, you better be nimble because there's a lot of stuff coming down the pike here in the next 90 days, and we're going to see earnings season starting, and that's going to be the first step. But then we're going to go through a Fed meeting and then post all of this stuff. We're going to have to talk about what's next and have we seen the lows for equities. Right. I mean, so bank earnings uh, came on Friday. I mean, I would basically call them mixed. Uh, J.P. Morgan, as an example, had run up 40% in front of that earnings report. And while they did beat analyst estimates, the stock did trade off a little bit on, you know, call it profit-taking. Bank right. America also reported good results. Wells Fargo and Citicorp both had more challenging quarters. And then finally, Delta, an airline, actually beat consensus estimates, but did lower forward guidance. And Danny, you and I talked about the issues with the computer shutdown this week in the airline stocks. And they still went up. They still went up, despite all of those planes being grounded. One of the things they saw in the CPI report was is one of the costs that did go up was airfares. Does that mean better profitability? Maybe. Well, generally, it does. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of cheap fares out there right now. Earnings, of course, uh, are going to be the story over the next several weeks, and it's going to be every stock for itself. 
what are your earnings, you know, how are you trading, what industry are you in, are going to be really important. I know you talked about banks and airlines, Derek, but of course uh, there is going to be a big push about is the total S&P 500 earnings overpriced? There's a lot of earnings that have not come down and that we expect we might see over the next couple of weeks. Well, right, and, and 2022 was really a year where multiples got compressed. Earnings actually were reasonably solid all year long, primarily due to the strength of the energy sector. And while we expect the energy sector to face much more difficult comparisons in the coming year, which could reduce S&P growth rates, the forecasts are for S&P earnings to be down 4.4% year on year. We think that's probably overly pessimistic pessimistic. But the real debate is what is 2023 and 2024 going to look like? We, you know, the consensus estimate for the S&P is that the 500 companies will earn around $228. There are analysts who have numbers below $200 for 2023. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley, namely the lowest at 180. Our research partner Strategus roughly 200. So there is some potential downward revisions to earnings estimates. And that's the challenge for us as an investment committee. What multiple do we want to pay? on earnings and what level of earnings do we believe is achievable? You know, we go back to a year ago when you and I were talking about what's called the M2, the monetary supply, and the fact that it was shocking to us that the Federal Reserve was confused that the printing of all of these dollars, modern monetary theory, was going to cause inflation. But it's gone back a long time. And of course, now what's happening is liquidity is being removed from the markets, something we haven't seen since probably 07 and 08. And that unequivocally will have an effect on earnings. It certainly will. And then, you know, you, th- you think about the lag effect, right? I mean, no one really knows how long these lags are. They could be six to 18 months. And a lot of that can have to do with sentiment as well. And meanwhile, you didn't mention the Fed with their quantitative tightening, where they're basically allowing uh, fixed income issues to roll off their balance sheet as they try to prepare themselves to have the bullets during the next downturn that we face. So we don't believe the Fed put is in existence. We think the market's going to have to you know, make progress on their own, depending on the earnings profile. But the good news is the fourth quarter, Atlanta Fed is sitting at about a 3% number for Q4. So it's hard to imagine companies having uh, bad earnings reports. It's that guidance that we have to pay attention to because any number of folks are out there suggesting that the, the likelihood of a recession remains fairly high. Jamie Dimon, in fact, during the conference call famously a few months ago said there was a hurricane coming. Well, now he, he kind of backpilled a little bit, told it a summer squall, but he, yeah. they do see a mild recession at J.P. Morgan. And that's going to be important, folks, because, you know, really the economy does bottom out after the stock market. So the stock market senses those things out and they get to a bottom six to nine months before We haven't seen it yet. Maybe the recession gets pushed back. A lot of detail to come down the road. If you are a little unsettled about what 2023 and beyond is presenting to you as far as your investment and retirement planning, can we help? Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You click that Get Started button. You start the wealth metric process. Again, it's AnnexWealth.com. Click on that Get Started button. Do you need an LLC? What are the reasons it might make sense for you? That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Keith, welcome back. Great to be here, Danny. The gig economy, the side hustle, the part-time extra job. 
all ways people use time and talent to earn extra money. With extra income comes a responsibility to report to the IRS. Yeah, you can get paid in cash, but for the purpose of this segment, we're going to consider wages you report on your income tax. And you might be asking, do I need an LLC? Keith, the first category we'll talk about for tax purposes is a sole proprietor. Does that cover most of side hustles? Oh, I'm sure it does, yes. It'd be a bit unusual, I would think, for people to enter into sort of a partnership, for lack of a better word, after their retirement in order to get things done. Because that would be a, a kind of more of a full-time gig, I would almost think. Okay. So the Keith Butler Lawn Mowing Company, you you <laughs> would be the sole proprietor, Yes, right? you would. Indeed. Okay. Yes. I've read that unless your side work produces thirty to $40,000 in annual income, there's no benefits to move past sole proprietor. Is that right? I would say no. And the reason is the reason you would move past sole proprietor to form an entity in order to run your business would be to protect liability. And that would be really the nature of the business itself and whether it lends itself to potential liability uh, rather than any sort of income. Next up is the LLC. That's the Limited Liability Company. I hear LLC all the time. What exactly is that? That is an entity wasn't a thing until a couple of decades ago. And then it became very, very popular because it has fewer formalities than a corporation does. And it protects from liability. It falls into two categories as far as how you think about it. One is a single member LLC. And one is with multiple members. Now, it can be done for a business. And what you're contemplating here when we're talking about side hustles is kind of a, is a business. The other way that LLCs could be used are for what we call passive investments. Like if you bought a, a four family or a commercial oh, building, sure. just real estate rent passive investment. We're talking now about an actual company where you're providing services or goods in, in exchange for fees. My opinion, and this may not be held by everyone, but my opinion is that for a business that has more than one person, you're better off with a corporation than a, an LLC. Why is that? Because the corporate law has great structure. You, know, you have shareholders who are owners. They elect a body called a board of directors that oversees the big picture and elects officers, and then it has officers that run day-to-day. And if you look at the LLC law, it is managed by either a manager or its members. But what do LLCs do? They elect board of directors. I see this all the time. They elect board of directors. They have a president. That's not a thing in LLC law, but they do it anyway because it makes sense, and that's what corporations are. Okay, you're talking about an LLC as being something much larger, I guess, than I pictured. Are any LLCs just for one- and two-person shops? Absolutely, and that's why I said going back to the single member, if you have your little side gig in retirement with just one person, then go ahead, and and an LLC would be just fine because it will accomplish the goal of protecting you from liability without needing all the formalities of a corporation. So for one person, I think it, it is very handy. One thing to always keep in mind, if you're doing this as a business and you've do it as an LLC uh, to protect yourself from liability, you have to respect all the formalities of an LLC, meaning that your billing, if you send an invoice, have it in the name of the LLC. Open up a bank account in the name of the LLC so that everyone knows they're dealing with an LLC and an entity, not you personally. The L and the L, limited liability, what kind of protection does it offer for the individual? Well, it would be anything that would relate to the business itself, unless where it could be pierced, we call it piercing the, the veil would be, number one, if you didn't respect the formalities and someone thought, hey, I had no idea I was dealing with uh, you know, Clayton lawn mowing. I thought I was dealing with Danny. Right. Um, and then they would sue you personally. The other would be if you took a negligent act in your indiv- as an individual, you would be held liable for that. Beyond the LLC, there are things S-corps, right. C-corporations. Is that 
part of a discussion for anybody? And at what point? Yeah. I, well, again, I think it would be if you had more than one person and you're operating a, a business. I don't know that that's the, the side gig that we're talking about now. But uh, really, an S-Corp and a C-Corp, they're the same sort of entity. They have the same rules, the same operating structure, all is the same. But S-Corporation has filed an election with the IRS to be taxed as a flow-through entity. Somebody thinks they might need to look into an LLC. Who do they talk to? Their lawyer. Lawyer. Yeah, I would, I would do that. And if you're thinking about how to have it taxed, that way you would talk to your accountant. If you had multiple people, should we be a corporation, should we be an S-corp, should we be a C-corp? That would be a, a conversation to have with your accountant, I think. So originally when I was thinking of this topic, I kind of picked you because I do like your style. And then you said, oh, I've done a lot of this because yeah, you are right. an attorney as yeah, well. Right. Back, back in my uh, previous iteration of my career, I, I did these all the time. So you're a wealth manager with a slight bend toward the legal, I right. would think. Yes. Right. Annex Wealth Management has clients who fall into every one of these categories. And we work with our clients on various business ventures because this is a very large and a very important part of their financial plan. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, thank you for joining us. Oh, pleasure, Dan. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? It is time for Ask Annex. You know, we recently had a couple of questions about advice seen on TikTok, the wildly popular, somewhat controversial social media platform that is owned by a Chinese company that may or may not be feeding back data to their government. People go to TikTok for all kinds of advice, but should you take financial planning advice from it? I found a list of the worst financial advice headlines on TikTok and thought I'd run them by our guests on the show today. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Hello. Hello, Danny. Got it. Are you on TikTok? <laughs> no. All right. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Danny. And I'm not on it either. I figured you were not. <laughs> All right. I was and I'm off. It's so addicting. Let's roll through some of these TikTok advice headlines and see what you guys think of them. Here's one. Max out your 401k could be the dumbest advice. You know, this is one of those where, you know, it depends on the person, I think. For some people, that's the smartest thing they could do is to force that money into the 401k for the retirement spending, you know, down the road. But there's also other ways to save too, which would make somebody not want to max it out, whether it's a Roth 401k version, whether it's taxable savings, whether or not they need money in the short term versus the long term makes that decision, you know, personal. And, you know, we've always said that tax diversification is just as important as asset diversification. So you got to just check out your situation and where are you on the three buckets that we always talk about, the tax now, the tax later, the tax never bucket. We like to have that nice tax diversification. So like Matt said, everybody's different and you should seek your wealth advisor for information. I think the investment options, you know, matter within this as well, too. You know, you certainly want to be able to put in at least as much as to get that employer match if that's available to you. But if the investment options that are in that 401k are not great, you know, there's better ways to save than outside of that. Exactly. TikTok advice headlines, how to make a million dollars or more with very little effort. What was their answer? I'd like to know. <laughs> I don't know. All I found was the worst headlines. I just played the lottery and I didn't win, which is why I'm still here. So I'd really like to know how to make that with little to no effort. As would I. Here's one. I see a stock going up and I buy it. Yeah. You know, for some people, that's what's called trend following. And if the stock's going up, that's a bullish sign and they'll want to buy more. Likewise, if it's going down, they want to sell and get out. But it certainly is a lot easier to say that than actually do that and to be able to know clearly what that person thinks is to know what's going to happen ahead of time. And the COVID days in 2020, when we had the stock market going up like crazy, all you had to do is wake up and the stocks were going up that day. So those 23 million new investors that came into the market really got a um, learning lesson that things don't always go up. 
Bad financial advice from TikTok, some headlines. The person names the company here, but I'll just say XXX, could reach 100000 per share or more. And I checked, it's currently under $4 a share. <laughs> well, that's a long way to go. That's for sure. You see those things, and, and you usually say that there's a price on a stock for a reason. Now, the price is somewhat subjective based on how many shares and the size of the company and all of that. But if something's trading at a couple of dollars a share, chances are it's not going to hit that $100,000. But you sure like that optimism. Yeah, and before you put that $100,000 price target on that, you might want to check the balance sheet and see what how much money they actually make and how much debt they actually have. It's pretty interesting. Here's one. Buy what rich investors buy. Yeah, there's lots of books that are out there that describe how certain investors, you know, invest their own money, whether they're rich already or they're a professional investor. You know, generally when they're writing those books and they're giving away what their so-called secrets are, they're probably either not that secret or that secret's going to go away and other people are going to do it. So it's hard to really replicate what they're doing. You know, the other problem, too, is that generally when people have sizable net worths, they have access to investments that not everybody else has as well, too. You know, there would be called an accredited investor. And so they're able to get into hedge funds or private equity or maybe they're in different private deals that the average person doesn't have. So it's hard to replicate that. Yeah, and they also have a higher risk tolerance. You know, maybe they can afford to have a stock go down 10% and still be okay, and maybe they can afford to stay in the market and invest in something that may not give them a return for three, four years, where an individual investor who's not an accredited investor might not have that flexibility. Here's the last from a list of the worst financial advice headlines on TikTok. Invest with cryptocurrency using a loan. Well, that's not going well this last year or so, that's for sure. Do people borrow money to invest? Oh, for sure. Within an investment account, it's called borrowing on margin or using margin. So you're paying, you know, an interest back to that custodian where you have those assets in order to leverage your investments, which obviously if things are going well, you're leveraging that upside and getting a a higher return on it. But it can get out of hand in a hurry. And certainly in times like we've seen over the last year or in the financial crisis, you know, you could end up losing more money than you actually put in in the first place. I remember in the um, dot-com days in the year 2000 and also the great financial crisis, people were mortgaging their homes to put money in the market when it was going up. So it can be, like you said, it can get out of hand really quickly. A lot of crazy stuff out there. Don't fall for it. Be as wise with taking advice as you are careful with your money. Money. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. My pleasure. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. If you're caring for aging parents while raising children, you are in the sandwich generation. Tough spot, but we got some advice if that's you. We'll cover that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, a segment addressing the sandwich generation. Deanne Phillips here to talk about it. Welcome back, Deanne. Hi, Danny. As Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP, CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, you work with a wide variety of clients. And I'm sure you see clients who are struggling as part of the sandwich generation. But can you give us a quick explanation of what that is? Sure. It was a term that was coined originally in the 80s, believe it or not. The sandwich generation is that generation of people typically in their 40s or 50s responsible for bringing up their own children at the same time they're caring for their aging parents or other family members. In other words, they literally are sandwiched between two generations as active caregivers. And it's not easy duty. The number I've seen is an estimated 9 million sandwich generation caregivers. That is a lot. Yeah, and about 3 in 10 U.S. adults, just under 30%, have a child younger than 18 at home, and 12% of those parents 
provide unpaid care for an adult as well. So all told, these are multi-generational caregivers who often provide more than two and a half hours of unpaid care per day on average, according to the Pew Research Center analysis of the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Yeah, and as you point out, this is not a full-time caregiver. It's either like somebody employed at a care center. The sandwich generation caregivers, they need to balance full-time jobs and the rest of their life. Right. So two-thirds of these caregivers are employed working about 36 hours per week at their own job and balancing the stress of that. But also, and you know, this is not necessarily a bad thing, Danny, but the amount of time that parents spend actively with their kids these days has gone up considerably now. Moms spend more than 40% more time with their kids than a mom did in the 1960s. And dad quality time has tripled as well. But when you combine this with full-time job and an average of 22 hours per week caring for an elderly parent on top of that, well, that can stretch the caregiver pretty thin. It's an assumption. Maybe it's not fair. Does this fall primarily on women? Yes. Increasingly, the sandwich generation definition could also include, besides the word female, the word millennial. Since the pandemic, millennial women have begun to fill the ranks, joining Gen Xers and boomers in the sandwich, according to a recent New York Life report. Millennials are one third of all multi-generational caregivers now post-COVID. Part of this is because that generation has delayed parenting well into their 30s. And so now they're actually paying for child care and elder care at the same time. And that puts a financial squeeze on them as well. They still might also be paying student loans. And that millennial generation has a record amount of medical debt on top of it. So this really suggests an added need for financial and retirement planning for those facing those challenges. You mentioned boomers. This is a crazy stat. They're going to start reaching their 80s in 2026. Mm -hmm. About 60% of adults 65 and older have at least two chronic conditions. That's according to the CDC. More people living with dementia. That's more hands-on care. About 25% of dementia caregivers are also caring for children under the age. I mean, God bless them. You know, if they can, you know, it it gets to some point where, of course, a child wants to do what's best for their parent. And sometimes physically, they just aren't able to meet the needs, too. It's easy to feel guilty about that when you're torn between those because you're torn between those two worlds because you feel a responsibility to your parent, but you've got the rest of your life as well. Well, you do. But you also, you know, sometimes it's for me. I mean, my mom was not a large woman, but just lifting her and dealing with that. I was afraid of hurting her. So it became that challenge. And this can absolutely lead to levels of added stress for these individuals. More women than men leave the workforce to care for their loved ones as well, as we both know, Danny. You know, it's little wonder that a recent Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies report found one third of women surveyed said they're just getting by to cover basic living expenses. However, many haven't seen their retirement savings and income placed into a financial plan. They haven't been able to adequately visualize that future. This is is an important step, as we know here at Annex, seeing the plan and what you can do now to make sure your financial and, you know, your personal goals are also met in the future. So what needs to happen with a conversation with loved ones in your family who will need a plan for diminished capacity? And and Mm. really, it should be sooner than later. Well, absolutely. This is why we have attorneys on staff at Annex. Now, we're not a law firm. We don't draft documents, but we certainly use their expertise to review current estate plans advised based on new circumstances like 
caring for a loved one and making sure that they're taken care of in the future. Uh, this is a tough thing. Listen, Deanne, before we let you go, we've got a third Thursday event rapidly approaching. We want to talk a little bit about it. We do. It's this coming Thursday, January the 19th in our Elm Grove headquarters at 6 p.m. And it's going to be a unique brand new session on behavioral finance and how our personal biases can actually impact our investments. How much time you got planned for that? <laughs> it could take all well, night. You know what? It's not a deep psychological dive, but it certainly does get into a little of the psychology of it. It's very interesting. We can kind of take a look at our own behaviors and kind of do a little self-check. It'll be a fun. It's, you know, again, for part of our women and wealth group here at Annex. So while men aren't turned away at the door, it is a women's group. And, you know, we have a little vino, a little snack and a delightful, wonderful conversation around our financial issues that are important to us. You had me at vino. <laughs> Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP, CDFA. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Quick break, then we're going to be back to wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify. Look for Annex Wealth Management on Spotify at the top of the hour. So if you came in late, maybe you'd like to hear a little bit more. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. He's on the show today along with Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Thanks, Danny. Uh, Derek, I did want to have a little bit of a primer on fixed income. You know, so many people have bond funds, and not a lot of people have individual bonds, but the reason why I want to go through this is fixed income has really shown itself as a good opportunity right now. Right. I mean, I, I alluded to what Gunlock was saying, and you know, when you think about the bond market, you know, a bonds trade above and below par. Given the rise in interest rates, now many bonds are actually trading below par, so you have what they call convexity, which essentially is the ability of the price of the bond to appreciate into expiration. So I'm going to explain called. that, because that's, that's pretty complex stuff. So par is 100, right? And right. so if you buy a bond at, let's say, 90, it's going to go to par when it matures. So you're going to get that 10% in this example, plus the yield that that bond is playing. Exactly. And that was not the case, you know, a year ago when we said buying bonds was like picking pennies up in front of a steamroll. We had right. $16 trillion in sovereign debt that was yielding negative. Now we have zero. Zero. Again, that, that's a big story. You know, we talked about that a lot uh, over the last couple of years that is just shocking that around the world you had negative negative yielding fixed income, which is shocking. Now it's zero. Right. And the Bank of Japan is the, was the last holdout, right? They were the ones that were trying to maintain a, a 0% interest rate. Well, the, the yen was getting crushed. They had to do something. And right. so yield curve control went away. It's something that could potentially crop up down the road again. But the fixed income opportunity is nice because, as you mentioned, you're getting the coupon. You're also getting price appreciation into expiration. And that was not true. So you get a higher carry. And that's, and that's a positive, which is great for savers. So you get price appreciation, you get the yield. And the reason why I bring it up is I see a lot of people uh, throwing these annuities out right now that are showing, you know, rates of four and a half or 5% or whatever it is with, you know, a 65 page prospectus that in is included with it. You know, you should just be careful on that stuff because there is alternatives right now that belong in a portfolio. Well, well and the other reason you need to be careful is if you buy one of those annuities, yes, the yield currently looks pretty good, but you got a 10 your lockup essentially right. right you have yeah. to pay surrender charges so if interest rates Can were to imagine go, being locked up for 10 we'll, years we'll think about well no. exactly think about it's this like a jail let's term. let's say we do have a recession in in 2024 and interest rates go down dramatically when that annuity is forced to basically reinvest the the, the money that they have in in the contract right. they're going to be getting lower and lower yields so you might not want this but meanwhile you're stuck there and to right. get out it's going to cost you a lot of money not to mention the upfront commissions you probably had to pay yeah right i mean sometimes yeah, they say there's no commission 
questions, but you know, ask ask your person what they're really getting paid. But you know, we're not pounded on this for any other reason to say that fixed income is another opportunity. And of course, when interest rates are up, the pricing mechanism of all risk assets, real estate, stocks, and bonds are definitely affected. And let's go to the other side. Let's go back to the equity side. There are stocks that pay dividends that are trading at single-digit PE, something we haven't seen in a long time as well. That's true. I mean, the, the, the broader market is very attractively priced. The problem is those top 10 names, both in the Russell 1000 growth and the Russell 1000 index. And as an example, at the peak of the tech bubble in the Russell 1000 growth, the top 10 names were 42% of the allocation wow. of the Russell 1000 growth. Guess what the peak was just a, a few months ago? 506 crazy. Right. So when you think about investing your portfolio, you really want to steer away from those larger companies and they're the ones who are going to provide a headwind in performance. Larger tech companies. Is what larger, you mean, yeah. larger, yeah. large cap growth companies. So now it may be your last chance. Take a look at those large cap growth funds you own. And if you don't like their recent performance, which I don't think you will, you might want to broaden out and add some small cap exposure. I saw a friend of mine the other day, he runs a, a value fund and I came up to him and I congratulated him. I said, after all of these years, values back and play. And that's, that is a true story. I mean, did he you know, find the humor in that yeah, too? He did. He was very happy. A great mutual fund manager called Fiduciary. Yeah. So he it was a big smile that value is back now in play. And folks, that is the reason why you've got to go through your portfolio. So growth versus value, small versus large, dividend payers versus growth companies. All of these are part of the portfolio and part of the process to go through right now, Derek. Well, and, and one other thing that you left out, I mean, U.S. versus international. International has yeah. underperformed for a decade. And that's primarily because tech was so strong. There aren't as many tech companies in those indices overseas as there are in the United States, not to mention the valuations are better, the dividend yields are higher, and the dollar, which has been in a long-term uptrend, is appearing to roll over. One more I would add to that, China's reopening, which means that international should be part of the conversation as well. If you need help going through this process, we do this every single day, folks. What we do is we give you two deliverables. One of them is the frame work for the financial plan. How is your estate plan? How is your financial plan? How is your tax plan? We have lawyers and CPAs on staff. That is substantially different than any other competitor. And number two, we go and give you a portfolio assessment. This is not one of those things where we're going to sell you a product. This is an assessment of what you have to make sure you're on track. If you've heard what Dave and Derek have been talking about on the show and the rest of our team, and you're like, this makes total sense. I don't quite know how to do it. We know some folks... Annex Wealth Management. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. What we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. If you hear me say those four things and like, well, I don't need all that. Really? Think about your legacy. Think about who you want to benefit down the road. And really think about the tax man as well. That's what we do. And we'd love to do it for you. Sometimes getting started is the hardest part. And we're ready to set a plan in place. Pick your partner carefully. AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. We're going to be back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Management Show, 620 WTMJ.